You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we too are the temple of your Holy Spirit. You are dwelling in us and you're working through us and we praise you and we thank you, dear Lord, that our God is strong in us. It's not our flesh, not our abilities, not our talents, not our gifts. Dear Lord, it's just simply the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and working through us and you alone deserve all the glory and honor. Lord, I wanted to jump up and down when we sang those words that death was arrested and my new life began because dear Lord that is exactly true death was arrested it was incarcerated it was placed in the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to where it is held in bondage while we live an eternal fresh new life forever and ever and we thank you dear Lord we give you the glory and we pray dear Lord now as we go to your word that Lord you'll speak to our hearts Make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit and we give you all the glory and honor. And Lord, I pray that I would be a vessel that can carry your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. I tell you, there are some songs here lately that, like I said, I just want to, I just want to start jumping up and down and shouting. Uh, go to dancing. You'll notice here to your left is our latest display, and uh, that is uh, the picture in some ways of the kitchen. We couldn't bring in uh, countertops and kitchen and, uh, you know, some of the normal things you'd see in a kitchen, such as stove and refrigerator refrigerator and some of those things. So Sheila was able to put that together, but I think in some ways that represents the, the kitchen. And I've been doing a series that we started last week called Every Room in the House. And today we're talking about the kitchen. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, real quickly. And then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, because Paul kind of sums up the problem in this church that he had such a long letter written to, and I think the problem in a lot of our homes today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, in fact, let's stand in honor of God's Word today. Paul says this, he says, but in everything, but everything should be done. In the NIV it says, in a fitting an orderly way. Now let me let me read that again because that's not only the problem a lot of times in a home, it's a problem a lot of times in a church, it's a problem a lot of times in a lot of our life. There's no order to our life. So Paul says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now take a left and go back to the Old Testament and find the book of Leviticus. And you're going, well, that's the book that I always quit reading, the one-year Bible. That's when I die in my one-year Bible reading and, uh, and, and give up my New Year's resolution to read the Bible through. Now, in Leviticus 
chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 11, just verses 1 and 2. I want you to see this. I think this is right. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Say to the Israelites of all the animals that live on land, These are the ones you may what? Eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof, completely divided, and that chews the cud. So you don't have to feel ashamed when you eat that steak. Now, verse 9, look down at verse 9. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any of them that have fins and scales. So that means you can eat the, the crappie that's getting ready to school up. That means that you can eat a lot of fish, but you may have a little problem if you're trying to defend your love for catfish. Now, take a right and go over. In fact, well, no, before you leave there, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13. These are the birds you're to detest, not to eat, because they're detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture. I don't know anybody wants to eat a buzzard, but just in case you do, you shouldn't do that. Verse 20. Uh, verse 20, he says here in Leviticus chapter 11, all flying insects that walk on all floors are to be detestable to you. Uh, there are, however, some that you may be able to eat, and he goes on to talk about those. Now, when we were in Zimbabwe, uh, they ate caterpillars, they ate uh, termites. Termites would come up, and you'd go out into the villages, and they would put termites, they'd cook them over an open fire, and, and then they would eat them. And people say, well, what did it taste like? It tasted like a Frito with a dip inside. I'm just taking care of you so your stomach will quit growling and you can kind of settle down. Uh, I also uh, uh, had an opportunity to eat a caterpillar. And you may say, well, what does a caterpillar taste like? And a caterpillar tastes like the grass that is accumulated under your lawnmower on a wet day. You know the way it'll cake up up under there? Well, just get you a handful of that and eat that, and you'll get a good taste of what a caterpillar tastes like. All God's people said... Amen. That's what missionaries, that's what missionaries do. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, you can take a right and go over there. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, and I'm not really exactly sure uh, what verse, but Deuteronomy chapter 14, he goes on to talk about, again, what the Jewish people could eat and what they couldn't eat. And so what I want to speak to you today is about the kitchen, and about the diet. So let's pray again together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to give a clear direction to this message, and we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Cecil Lowe was a senior adult here. Cecil Lowe lived almost to be 102 he was about four weeks away from being 102 in age. One time he was with our men, and the men were asking the question, how do you have, or how do you live such a long life? Cecil Lowe made this statement. He said, first of all, number one, and so we're all sitting on the edge of our seat, he said, I always ate breakfast. He, uh, he attributed a great deal of his health to the fact that every morning when he got up, he never skipped breakfast. He always ate breakfast. Now, if you're having a weight problem and you don't eat breakfast, let me tell you what your body's doing. Your metabolism is going down. It is thinking that you're getting ready to starve. In fact, listen to the word breakfast. 
What that means is breakfast comes from the term of breaking a fast. You've been fasting overnight and you're breaking the fast to eat. But breakfast is a critical need in your life. Now, you know, I'm not going to get on to Titus chapter 2. But in Titus chapter 2, when Paul, leave, when Paul sends Titus to the island of Crete, he tells Titus, he says, I want you to identify leaders. And then he also said this in Titus chapter 2. He said, I want the older men to teach the younger men, older women to teach the younger women. And I think what Paul was talking about is practical things. Now, we said this last week. We said that in reality, with the breakdown of the nuclear family, In other words, mom's working, dad's working, families are scattered, the nuclear family in a lot of ways divorced, separated, single parent. With the breakdown of the nuclear family, a lot of the things that were taught by grandmother to mom to granddaughter are no longer taught. Do you agree? You don't see this passing down of some of the things such as cooking or taking care of a home. In fact, Paul says in Titus chapter 2, he said, let the older women teach the younger women how to conduct and maintain a household. So he deals with practical matters, and I think it's critical in our day. Now, last week we looked at the dining room. And we basically said that in a home, there should be a place that is designated for a family together to sit down a neutral territory where people can gather and they can sit down and they can share a meal together. And these were the questions. One, is, was your dining room, is, your dining, is it dining or a disaster? Two, there should be dialogue and not discipline. In other words, the table is not a place for mom and dad to discipline the kids. It is neutral territory. It's not a place for mom and dad to argue or to fight. It is an armistice. It is a place in the home, just like this place right over here, where we have a table set for four, and we've got that big carved out wooden thing there that says home. This is a place in your home where people gather. And it's critical. And we also said this, that it should be dinner and not a disorder. And last week I told you this, if you make a commitment to get your physical body in health and shape, probably what you're going to have to do is uncover the treadmill. You remember we said this last week, treadmills make great places to hang coats, coat racks and put stuff on, hang stuff on. We'll, we'll lay a towel over ours and dry it after we come out of the shower. I mean, you know, the, 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 the treadmill is a catch-all. But if you decide, I'm going to get my physical health in shape, then you're going to have to clean off the treadmill and get it back where you can use it again. Now, everyone look this way. Mom, for you to get your family, to get a hold of your family and to begin to bring some order to your home and an opportunity to speak truth into the life of your children, you're going to have to clean up and get the dining room back where it needs to be. And all the ladies said, Now, today we're looking at the kitchen, and there's, there's two points. Number one, mom, and, and, and hear me closely because this is a question, let me ask you. If mealtime was such an important part in the Bible, in nearly every home, we find mealtime a critical component all the way through. Abraham celebrating feeding and 
and, and spending time with the angels over a meal, the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper, the great banquet. If we find mealtime such a critical thing in the Bible, then how can we have mealtime if it's not prepared? So to moms and dads, first of all, mom, listen to me, dad, listen to me. You and I, we should prepare a meal. We should prepare and not pander. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, everybody turn to your neighbor and do this. I want you to turn, look at somebody, you have to turn around. I want you to turn, Justin, you can look at me. And, and, but I want you to turn and look at somebody and go, I, curl up your nose, pretend you're looking at a Brussels sprout and say, I don't like that. You don't like a Brussels sprout, do you? Okay. In most cultures, and I believe Bible as well, the meal, the meal, the sitting down around a table was a community event, a gathering of a family for fellowship and for dialogue, but it also required a person to prepare a meal. Is that not right? So a dining room means nothing without an attempt to prepare something to eat. But there are two dangers here. First of all, one danger, well, let me just say, let me stop and go back. Because we said this, that mom, you're to prepare and not to pander. And we're going to get to that in a minute. What I mean by that is, is that you're to prepare a meal and not necessarily to pander to the whims and the desires of your family. Especially kids. If kids are dictating the menu and the diet of the family, let me tell you something. I can tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be french fries and chicken nuggets. They'd just soon eat a Snickers bar and drink a Coke as to sit down and eat a well-rounded meal. So if you, mom or dad, if you're just simply going to prepare something that the kids will eat, if you're going to pander rather than prepare, you're going to have a problem. And every parent in this room should be saying... So, number one, mom, let me tell you, let me give you a couple of dangers here. First of all, you have to understand that a lot of times when a mom is working, she's working a job, she's wearing a lot of hats, her schedule is stretched real thin, there can be pressure in preparing. She knows, in fact, I'm sure that right now some moms feel guilty. Their thought is, you know, I agree with you, pastor, but I just simply don't have what? Time. And a lot of times a mom feels pressured. And you may say, well, this is very practical. Well, we could go back. We could use a biblical example in Luke chapter 10. Do you remember, remember when Mary and Martha were having Jesus come to their home? You remember that? And what happened to Martha? What did Martha do? She got real upset. Here Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, had invited Jesus into the home. Jesus comes in, he sits down, and before long Mary comes down, sits down at the feet of Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen over there. She's preparing, she's getting more irritated. And finally she comes in, puts her hands on her hips, looks at Jesus, God in the flesh, and says, don't you care that I'm in there working in the kitchen by myself? Why don't you get my sister Mary to get her butt up and come in there and help me? You see, 
Every woman knows who runs a household, immediately you understand how Martha feels. You think to yourself, you know, it wasn't right. She was isolated. She was under pressure. She needed help. And so I want to say to you, if you're in a, if you're in a family where mom and dad are both working, it is a responsibility of the whole family to be involved in the kitchen and the preparing of a meal. Mom, do you agree? Yeah. Let me tell you something else, and I know this is very practical. The kitchen is a great place together, isn't it? You know, I've heard people say a lot of times, boy, I can remember a lot of times the whole family would end up in the kitchen. Food preparation promotes dialogue. The smell of fried chicken, cornbread, eggs and bacon in the morning, all of that. Listen, it changes the whole atmosphere and the dynamic of a family when all of a sudden the mood of the entire house... Listen, Mom, the mood of the entire household can be transitioned by the smell of food. You say, well, that's strange. How many times in the Old Testament... Does it talk about the sacrifice? Now think about this for a moment. When you're walking in the neighborhood and somebody's grilling steaks, what happens to your mouth? Man, you come so close to inviting yourself into their backyard to eat, help them eat a steak. You're, listen, you're, I want you to say what your nature, my nature, when meat is grilled, that is, that is one of the best smells of all, except... When fresh bread is being baked. When bread is being baked, when, when pastries are being cooked, all of a sudden your mouth is just watering. Do you know why? Because you were created in the image of God. And your God, Jehovah Yahweh, you know what the sacrifices were? Grilled meat and fresh bread. You were created in his image, even with his likeness, even with his, even with his palate. Wow. Mom, you have the ability to change the dynamic of your home when you begin to recognize how important it is to involve your family in the preparing of a meal. And dad and kids, you need to be involved in that. Even as a single parent, it's important. But... And let me say this before I leave this. Children should be responsible to set the table. You see, this, this is an event. If you, if you come into this home and you would see, and this is a fight Sheila and I have been having. We've known each other about 40 years. We still fight over this one. Sheila ate one meal a week in her home. It was Sunday lunch. She wasn't taught. She didn't have somebody teaching her, ingraining into her growing up the importance of a family sitting down together to set table and sharing in a meal together. So it was new to her. She had to learn and still she's still learning a little bit. Well, I mean just a little bit. But, but a set table, what this does is it shows. It shows that there's preparation being made. That this is an event by which all of the family coming from bedrooms, coming from work, coming from school, everybody's gathering in and mom is setting the mood for the entire house. 
principle, working moms need to involve the whole family in the preparing of a meal. What does that mean? You may have the children set the table if they're young. You may have them peeling the potatoes. You may have them involved in it. You may have them washing dishes as they are dirtied. Amy, my, my oldest, who is now a dentist, would talk Emily into washing the dishes because the texture of the suds bothered her. And I don't know anything more nasty than reaching into a decaying, smelly mouth and fixing their teeth. So I feel like in some ways that Emily, Emily prayed and God punished Amy by calling her to be a dentist. So let me, let me say this. Mom, there is a danger and that is pressure to prepare you should involve the whole family, especially if you're a working mom. The second danger is a pampered palate. A pampered palate. The danger, and I know this is practical, and I know you know me. I spent a year and a half in Genesis, a year in uh, Luke. You know me. I love exegetical preaching. I don't like doing this. I know this is very practical, but for especially young parents here, this is critical. Mom, your responsibility is to prepare a meal, not to pamper your child. The danger is today that we find ourselves coddling and catering to the diets of our children and the people around us. And sometimes mom or dad, your parents did that to you and now you're passing that on to your children as well. And I said it before, the problem is with that is that if you allow children to dictate what they like and what they want to eat, you probably, probably will have an unhealthy diet. Let me give you something. There's something to think about, what I call the missionary test. Do you know that if you said to the IMB, we want to be missionaries? You know what the IMB does, first of all? You've got to, be, you've got to have manageable debt. In other words, you have to be able to liquidate your assets and put yourself in a position to be debt-free in order to go live in Africa or any, any place in the world. Okay, that's one test. But let me tell you, I, I thought about another test. You know what I call it? I call it the diet test. Because if you're a picky, pandered, pampered adult who eats only what you want to eat, you will do damage as a missionary and we don't need to send you because you'll hurt somebody. I remember one time in Africa, we had a friend come to our home. He was a preacher from the United States. Sheila had prepared spaghetti a grown man. And you know what he did? He sat there separating out. He sat there separating out the onions out of the spaghetti, the meat sauce. Can you believe that? I mean, Sheila diced it pretty, pretty small. He sat there, grown man, separating out the onions. And he looked at her and he said, grown man on a mission trip, he said, I don't like onions. Oh, oh no. We're so sorry. And now you, want, you feel called to come to, to go with me out into the villages and eat termites and caterpillars and sadza? Oh, you don't qualify. Please go back home. You see, the reality is, Mom, listen to me, and I know this is practical, and I know this is not exegetical, biblical, out-of-the-Bible preaching, but it's all the way through the Bible. Most pampered palates are unhealthy. Most children, if allowed to do what they wanted and to eat what they want to eat, it will be fries, 
tater tots, and chicken nuggets. Now I'm getting ready to end this right now. You won't have to worry about chicken nuggets anymore. Chicken nuggets are usually filled with chicken parts. Feet, beaks, slivers of feathers, and a lot of other things. But you go ahead and eat the nuggets. Some parents make this statement. Young parents make this statement, and you're thinking this right now. Well, preacher, that's all fine and good, but I don't want the fight. I don't want the whining. I don't want the, the battle. So I pretty much just let little Rufus eat whatever he wants to eat. If your child is dictating, Mom, what you're preparing in the kitchen, then God help who they marry one day. And God help their family. And God help if God should ever call them to the mission field because part of that will be they'll have to eat things they just simply will not want to eat. We live in a selfie world, don't we? And consider it in the area of food and diet. We don't like this. We don't want this. I don't eat that. As if the household and the world is to conform to our likes and dislikes. Where did the adult get that? Often a pampered palate is the result because a child has been raised that way and now they're an adult. Jerry Bridges wrote a book. He's called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. He said this. Now, let me read it again. The book is called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. He said we are by nature predisposed to selfishness and no more so than at the table when we sit down to eat. Listen, parent, you will never have to teach selfishness. It will come naturally. And it is more evident in your child when they sit down at the table to eat than any other time. Because they'll tell you what they like, what they don't like, what they'll eat, and what they will eat. Let me give you, let me give you something to hang your hat on, mom. You fix what they don't eat. When they get hungry enough, they'll eat it. You don't know. My child is so bullheaded, strong-willed. They're just like their daddy. <laughs> I mean, it just turns into a. It just turns into a disaster. No. You just cover the plate, set it over on the stove, and eventually they'll come eat it. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. But we live in that kind of world. Jerry Bridges was saying that. He said, we live in a world today where it's habit your own way. We train our young people to be self-sufficient. I mean, to be, to be self-centered. My sister, Marcia, who's a real estate agent now, when she was a kid, she did not eat peas. She hated peas. And dad would say, well, you're going to eat your peas before you leave the table. Well, she would finally stuff the peas in her mouth. Could I be excused? And then she'd go back and spit them into the toilet. So dad got, they got smarter than Marcia and they got to figuring that out. So they just let her sit there with a mouthful of peas. Till everybody got up from the table. I had a cousin, she didn't like peas. So she got mad one day and she took each pea and she swallowed it like a pill. She, would, she refused to chew it and eat it. Well, later on she was sick as a dog. You may say, well, you know, pastor, where are you going with this? God's word all the way through. You know what it says? Eat this, don't eat this. Eat this, don't eat this. Because God is concerned about your diet and mine because that's what powers the bodies that we live in. 
Jerry Bridges went on to make this statement. He said, the inconsiderate person never thinks about the impact of their actions on themselves or on others. And that is so true. Let me give you a point, something to hang your hat on. The greatest danger of a pampered palate is health. And I want every parent to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Every young person in this room. A word from the Lord. Some of you in this room are living a life in which your children will be given the burden of your care one day. Not because of a disease that could not be helped, but because the parent chose to live a poor lifestyle. Eating whatever, never exercising, never burning it off. Abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, smoking, or some other addiction. And one day your child will have to deal with that. In other words, you'll become a liability to the people that love you. And that's not fair. What is the key? Some of us in this room need to repent of what we eat and how we live our lives and what comes out of the kitchen, what is prepared, what is put before our family. We need to repent. We need to return to God's purpose and His plan for our lives. When I was in the sixth grade, my dad was an engineer at NASA. He had a spot come up on his mouth. He was a smoker. My mom pulled us aside because my dad had it checked out, and she said, your dad has a form of cancer. I knew smoker's cancer was serious. I was a sixth grader, and it shook me to the core of my being. I mean, I was upset. I cried. Because I thought to myself, my mom had some problems. I thought to myself, God forbid if something should happen to my dad, what life would be like without my dad. Well, they warned my dad. He began to chew cigars. He quit smoking. But then as he chewed cigars, and again the spot came up on his mouth a few years later, and again the doctors warned him. Then again a few uh, year or two later, a knot came up on his neck. I remember us at St. Dominic's Hospital. I walked into the bathroom. I'm now a grown man, and I wept and cried. And as I wept and cried and thought about life without my dad, it weighed so heavy on me. They cut my dad. I want you to look, smokers. They cut my dad from behind the ear all the way down his neck, down into his chest. For six hours, they removed these glands, they removed muscle, and they spent six hours removing the tumor from my dad. And I remember the weight that I felt as a kid growing up and then even as a young adult. I thought to myself, how can I go on without my dad? Let me tell you this much. That was a choice my dad made. Mom, I want you to hear me closely, and I know I'm... I'm not going to close yet, but I'm getting ready in a moment. Some, I wrote this down, some today are destroying their lives by the food they eat. They don't plan, they don't prepare, they don't cook, they don't serve. They just shovel away. Second point, I am pleading with you, I am not preaching. Mom, Dad, I am pleading with you, I am not preaching. I prayed and so heavy about this, I felt attacked from the enemy and felt so heavy about this sermon. I prayed and God sent Pine Lake to send ladies down here to watch our kids so that some of you young women, young parents could be in this room right now. When we went to Zimbabwe, second point, simply I'm pleading and not preaching. 
when we went to Zimbabwe. Listen, blood pressure went down. Cholesterol went down. All lab work went down. Borderline uh, diabetic went down, disappeared. Over and over, there was a radical change in every missionary who went to Zimbabwe. Do you want to guess why? Because of the diet. Because of the diet. Now, Mom, I need you to listen closely. I believe that you are in a war. And I believe that it's for the health, not only of you, but your family. I heard a man say today that he was in a Billy Graham crusade and a young mother was sitting over across from him, fell over dead. Mom, you need to take care of your health and then you need to declare war on those that are undermining the health of your family. So, there's two industries I believe that are threatening the American family today. Number one is the pharmaceutical industry. Nowadays, we take a pill for everything. Antibiotics are in everything. The maturation process of a young girl growing up, most girls look four, 14 years old, look like they're about 20 because of some of the stuff that we're putting in the foods that we're eating. We attempt to solve every problem. And listen to me, Mom. Every behavioral problem in the life of a child, we try to solve with a pill. And I want you to hear me, Mom. You are in a war with a pharmaceutical industry in this country. Drugs should be the last resort to correct a problem in the life of your child. Listen to this. Today, Fox News today, they called it prescription thugs. New documentary looks at America's legal drug abuse problem. Listen to this. The United States makes up about 5% of the world's population, yet consumes 75% of the world's prescription drugs. Did you hear that? The American population makes up less than 5% of the world's population. We, can, we consume over 75% of prescription drugs. A national, listen to what they're calling it today, a national epidemic that centers on three areas, painkillers, tranquilizers, and stimulants. The pharmaceutical industry is nearly a quarter of a trillion dollar industry a year. They spend $422,000 per congressman to lobby, to use the congressman as a lobby in our government. Mom, you are, mom, listen to me. You are in a war in the area of medications. And mom with a young child, you better listen to me closely. The pharmaceutical stuff in your medicine cabinet may be a threat to the well-being of your child. You don't need, a, you don't need a, somewhere to, to lock your guns and secure your guns. You need a place to lock and secure the medications that some of you are on. Because that 13, 14-year-old child gets that one day, it takes them down a road that cannot often be stopped. So, Mom, you're in a war with the pharmaceutical industry. Secondly, you're in a war with the food industry. I want you to listen to this. 200 years ago, we ate less than 10 pounds of sugar. Today, the average American eats about 200 pounds of sugar a year. And a Coke 
is nine and a half teaspoons of sugar. Dr. Ben Feingold, an eminent pediatrician with John Hopkins, who's now dead. Parents, listen to me. Listen to what he said. He specialized in children's allergies. He was the first person to report that hyperactivity, hyperactivity in children is often caused by artificial food coloring and flavorings. He was the first one to warn us. Dr. Feingold made it his life's work both to further research in this area and to help the children who had a broad range of behavioral uh, physiological and neurological disturbances that seemed to be related to what they ate. Multiple medical research by men and women, the, uh, this goes on to say, who have devoted their life to the dangers of the Western diet are fighting a billion dollar industry and mom, you're on the front edge of it. 66% obesity rate in America. And for the first time in this generation, in this generation, life expectancy is moving back the other way. First time. Why? Because of what we eat. Mom, you are in a war and you had better listen. Because you're the only one that can turn it. And maybe some of you dads... He went on to say this, and I know I need to close. He said in the 1980s, he said, hyperactivity in children. And I've seen some children so doped up they can't even hardly function. And it grieves the heart of this pastor. He said hyperactivity in children was directly related to soda drinks. He showed graphs in Congress where our soda intake was equivalent to the hyperactivity because what does sugar do? Sugar, sh throw, sugar slows this down and it leads to depression and it makes you draggy and lethargic. It makes you want to sleep a lot and to crawl into a hole. And God loves you too much to let you live like that. We have crippled our health system. Obamacare will not fix it. We are about to break this country because we have abused our health and we can't fix it without mom going into the kitchen and preparing meals that are healthy. It's all the way through the Bible. Sheila said this, and Sheila taught three-year-olds for years. She said, in my 12 years of teaching children, she said, I noticed something that each year kids got more difficult Courtney, I don't know if some of our teachers, Emily, they probably would agree with this. Sheila said in the 12 years of teaching three-year-olds, she said children got progressively harder and more difficult to handle. When does it stop? How much money do you have to make? How many cars do you have to buy? How much money do you have to put in the bank? How much mom do you have to make to get secure enough so you can raise your kids? How much fast food do we have to eat? How much sugar do we have to shovel down us? Don't we understand that we have an enemy and that enemy, the devil, wants to destroy our lives? 
he's killing the church and he's killing many in this room because you've given into the addiction to eat. And he wants to set you free. For the sake of those children and grandchildren that are coming behind us. Mom, you are in a spiritual war for your health and that of your family. And the battleground is your kitchen. And your war strategy is the menu and the determination to ensure starting right now that my family, my children are healthier than I am. I'm begging you to listen to me. Everything in me yesterday, I was so depressed. As we went out and we walked and we knocked and we met homeless, we met people on all walks of life. So broken when I got home, I just sat and shared my heart with Sheila and began to cry. Crack. Let me tell you, you tell them I said this. Every crack dealer in this community, if they don't repent, they'll die and spend eternity in hell. Crack, heroin, crystal meth is destroying this nation. Pharmaceutical industry, three quarters of a trillion dollar industry is destroying this nation and the food industry is right along behind them. Mom, the key is to go back into that kitchen to plan those menus. Young person, single adult, college student, that means even you. You set the pattern right now. You begin to eat healthy. If Wendy says you can have it your way, then have it your way. Side salad, baked potato, crackers, and a simple hamburger with not all the bacon and everything else on it. Start having it the way God may want you to have it before it's too late. You know, and I'll pray after this. Two weeks ago, I broke up um, three men who jumped a homeless guy, knocked him to the ground, and were kicking and beating him. His homeless friend took off running. They knocked him to the ground, hit him in the head, and they were kicking and beating him. At one o'clock in the afternoon right here on a main thoroughfare here in South Jackson, Raymond Road. Right here, right in front of the church. I, I addressed it. I stopped it. I went and helped that man, did everything that I could to help him. But I was so angry. I was so angry that at one o'clock in the afternoon, the audacity, the audacity of three men knocking a helpless, homeless man to the ground and beating him senseless and nobody stopping, beeping a horn, doing nothing. And I thought, evil prosperous because good men and women do nothing. I was so upset and I'm still upset. Yesterday, we were coming back after ministering to the homeless I came to the corner of Belvedere and Raymond Road. There was a man sitting there. He was curled up like homeless do sometimes. He was sitting like this. He had a plaque and he was holding it, a cardboard sign. He was down like this. He was 
filthy dirty. He looked like he had been drugged behind a plow in the deep south on a dusty day. And he had that son who was sitting there rocking. Filthy. We came up there in the church van. We were out of sack lunches and I was thinking, you know, what can we do? And about that time he he looked up and he he saw us go by. Then he saw me on the passenger side. And he sat up and he smiled. And he waved. Because I was the one that had kept three thugs. Thugs is a bad word. I think it's a really good word. I did a little investigation. I thought it's a very good word. It's what thugs are. I was a man that said, you, you're not going to beat this man while I'm standing here. Evil's not going to prosper this day. Smiled and waved at me because he recognized me as the one that got involved in his life. Said, you're a human being. I'll tell you something, mom and dad. We are killing this nation. We've destroyed our medical system. And the truth of the matter is, and I wrote it down here, I can't find it. But maybe that's just as well. Basically, it's this. There's always people that profit on war and epidemics. Now, I want you to hear me. There's always industries and people who profit on wars and epidemics. My friend, let me tell you, The pharmaceutical industry, the food industry, and Washington will never solve this problem. Mom, you'll have to solve it. You'll have to solve it personally in your life. Then you're going to have to solve it in the life of your family. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I preach today with everything in me. Because, Lord, I, I, I believe than in the average home today in the lives of so many people. In a day, dear Lord, when for the first time in our history we have reversed life expectancy, we have sent it backwards, we, are, we have done an injustice to our children and we've done an injustice to the generation who's yet to come. And we pray, dear Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit that you convict moms and dads and people today that in all walks of life that they would begin to make healthy decisions in the area. Oh, it's all right to cheat. There's nothing wrong with a piece of pie or a piece of cake or an occasional steak or some of the things that we do. But this should be a privilege. It should be a special time, not not something that is done every day. God, we pray, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus that we would return to our kitchens. We would begin to prepare, fix, and develop menus that are healthy, that we would go to the grocery store and not find ourselves running to the very back of Walmart to get the the milk, that we would realize that when we walk into Walmart, Kroger, or wherever we may go, the milk is in the back of the store because they're simply putting everything possible in our path. They have a strategy. May we have one. May, dear Lord, we get our health back where it needs to be. 
There's some in this room that are held in bondage to drugs. There's some in this room who've lived their life in bondage to alcohol. Some in this room that are in bondage to crack and crystal meth. There's some in this room that are in bondage to a cigarette. And they don't realize that they are hurting the generations yet to come. They're penalizing children and grandchildren who may one day have to care for them because they didn't care for themselves. Some in this room may say, well, I'm all alone. I'm by myself. I'm a single person. No, they're not. That's selfish too. Some people may feel like, well, why should I care? I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. Yes, they do. Most of all, God, you do. You have a plan and a purpose for every life in this room. But our enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. And I think he's doing it today, dear Lord, through the food and the drug industry. And I pray, dear Lord, that we'll realize that today. I ask you, dear Lord, to get a hold of us. I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they're not saved and they're not sure that their salvation is not settled. If they died, they don't know where they'd go. I pray, dear Lord, today that they would settle that. I ask you, dear Lord, that maybe moms and dads would come, spend a moment at this altar and and pray over the health of their family, over their own health, to say, God, help me to get my health back so that I can get the health of my children and grandchildren. God, speak to us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.